Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors Podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Christopher Riddell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sinset. What's going on, man? Chugging along, Chris. Chugging along. Yeah, man. This was a big week in the podcast front. Uh, several episodes got recorded, some great guests. Uh, this guest was this guest was a great one. This topic was something we hadn't really approached, and he even brings that up. But on this uh, episode, talk to Bob Escher. He is the owner of Escher Design. He's the founding president of the U.S. Hemp Building Association. And this whole conversation was around hemp as a building material. I know when I did some research uh, for this episode, I was actually kind of astounded by you know, how sustainable this material really can be. We touch on it some in the episode. We talk about things like embodied carbon. What'd you think? I, I'm really glad that we were able to get Bob on because, you know, I was not really aware of it as a construction material. Um, I had heard about it in college from one of my professors, um, but that was, you know, before the farm bill that passed in 2018 that really brought the doors open on this whole thing. Um, Bob is, <laughs> he, he's almost the perfect AEC disruptors guest because he's an innovator. And also, you know, we've got this, um, you know, light theme this season on sustainability. And this construction material, it's, it's pretty much as sustainable as it gets. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who, um, you know, hear hemp and they have thoughts in their head immediately. Um, but, you know, after talking to Bob and, you know, seeing what they're all about at the U U.S. Hemp Building Association and hearing the passion in his voice, it gets me really excited for um, its future as a sustainable material in the built environment. Oh, yeah. And we talk about how education is so important because it does have a a negative connotation or at least everyone associates hemp with say marijuana and we talk about that like what actually is the difference and and the fact that um hemp is carbon negative actually it's not even carbon neutral it's carbon negative it absorbs so much carbon so it was a great guest i mean it was a great talk and uh hope you get to listen to it enjoy and check back for more All right, welcome back to the AEC Disruptors podcast. I get to open it once again. Um, Chris is here, and we are also um, very happy to be joined by Bob Escher. He is the owner of Escher Design and also the founder of the U.S. Hemp Building Association. How's it going, Bob? It's great, Jackson. Thank you for having me. So when, when we have guests um, come on, you know, we, we, we like to talk about the arc of your career. So what, you know, first got you interested in the industry um, and what led you to the point that you're at right now? Well, you know, it's, it's been an amazing journey. You know, I've had my practice here in Dorset, Vermont for just about 33 years now. Um, and my focus has always been on um, second homes, luxury homes, custom homes, country clubs, libraries. And 
it's it's a really good market up here because you know we're sort of in a in southern vermont we're in a sort of a resort area of skiing and um, golf and tennis and hiking and all those great things where the appalachian trail comes through and everything so um it's been a, it's been a really good run but um about four or five years ago my son came up to me and said have you ever thought of bringing hemp into your practice and building with hempcrete and of course that was the last thing i've ever thought about being in 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 the market that i was and um he pursued me and we pushed he pushed it and we ended up going out to denver in 2017 and met a couple of people, uh, namely Eric McGee, who wanted to build a small hempcrete barn in his home uh, on his property in Denver, and um, Kelly and Allie from Left Hand Hemp, who were doing classes. And the long and short of it, we ended up building the first permitted hempcrete structure in Denver, which was a very simple 16 by 20 post and beam barn in the backyard of a suburban home and literally that changed my life um i didn't realize at the time um but it was historic and someone one of the tours that people had organized um a lady said that to me and i sort of pushed it off and said no, no i don't think so but in the end it was but you have to understand you know my background in construction and architecture goes way back also to my grandfather and father who were uh, contractors in New York City back in the late 1800s and my father took the company over and um, you know that company white construction built Yankee Stadium the original one Hayden Planetarium oh, that's uh, cool. and I have distant relatives in Switzerland that were involved um, well that were the engineers for um, the, the what is it the Goddard tunnel um, you know back way back so it's it's been in my blood and uh being in that sort of background to come out as an architect certainly was disruptive in my family uh but it also was a natural progression for that because my father would when i was a young boy you know he would take me to his jobs um and other people's jobs we were actually able to go out to the sears tower when it was being built we actually went to the top of the world trade center actually before it was the top we were um we were able to go to the very top of uh I, I don't know if it was tower one or tower two but it was still just steel and concrete and we were able to look down on the other tower which was you know about 30 floors below it still being built so it it always was something in my background that took me here and so when the opportunity and most importantly the impact that this little building had on me personally, as well as on my practice, it, I just felt it was an absolute natural progression to take uh, my background, my family background uh, to another level. And that's exactly what has happened. And I, I think after looking at many of your podcasts, that today's discussion is gonna be something totally different than any of the others. Uh, mainly because what my goal as the founding president of the U.S. Hemp Building Association um, is to get the message out there to architects, engineers, and builders. Um, and we have an opportunity to 
be part of creating a whole new design genre. We have an opportunity to create an industry. Now, when has that ever happened in our lifetimes, let alone in the last century, to be part of something at the very, very beginning um, from the, I mean, from the start, you have to understand hemp was illegal up until 2000, uh, was it 2000, the farm bill in 2019. And uh, it's new. It's an incredible material. It can do anything. And most of all, guys, it answers all the questions about the carbon footprint issues. It answers all the questions on how we can fix global warming. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, remember this, we're starting from scratch here, but in the end, there's so many uses of hemp to be brought into the construction industry. And I'm talking of blending. Okay. I'm not talking of fight by kick and scratch. We're going to take concrete out insulation out. We're going to, you know, you know, become the leader of that. We're going to blend into this. And that's the secret because um, the, the more hemp that gets put into materials over the next decade uh, is going to slowly but surely take that carbon footprint down because hemp takes the carbon in the air when it's, something is built. It absorbs the carbon inside, it remediates carbon inside uh, and holds it. So it's a sponge for carbon and it's the best sponge out there. There are other materials but hemp can do it the best. It's, it's also fire resistant. It's bug resistant, mold resistant, um, pest resistant, you know, bugs, mice, things like that. Um, and it, it, it absorbs and controls moisture. So um, it's a natural building material and it doesn't have any wires or booklets or, you know, instructions on how to build it. It's a plant. Okay, just get that through your mind. It's it, it's a plant, and this is uh, I hate to sound like a cliche, but it really is an opportunity to share to save the world. Okay, but we got to communicate that to the earth and everybody, and that's going to take time. Yeah, I'm just excited to have this conversation because, like you mentioned, it is totally different than any of the conversations we've had. And when we originally sort of set out this uh, season of the disruptors we were talking about this idea of having this theme of sustainability. And now a lot of our episodes kind of touch on that. Um, and, and this seemed to be like a perfect uh, topic to kind of fit into there. And, and as we go, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll touch on all the key aspects that you talked about, but to kind of get us started, um, can you kind of help us understand, you know, when we say hemp, what exactly are we talking about? Obviously a lot of people will associate it with marijuana and, and THC and, you know, so when we talk about just hemp in general, um, can you kind of help sort of set the stage for what that is? Yeah. Um, okay. Number one, hemp has been around for centuries. Okay. Um, it, it, it's, they found hemp in uh, buildings back in China from centuries ago, Roman uh, architecture used it. And it was, it was really uh, in the background, but a very important part of the history of development of cities, homes, of our civilization, including um, uh, during the colonial times where um, it, we, the colonists were forced to grow hemp as a tax 
because it was so versatile because you could make rope you could make uh, uh, materials for you know paper for anything anything and um, the Constitution was written on hemp paper so uh, what happened though um, Christopher was uh, in 1937, I think, uh, the government led by a number of very conservative business people and in industrial magnates shut us down because they realized that hemp was a challenge to the lumber industry, to oil industry, and many other of the big developing uh, industries during that time period. And then followed by um, the war on drugs, hemp is cannabis. It is cannabis. It looks like marijuana. It smells like marijuana, but it's not marijuana because the difference between the two is hemp has below 0.3 THC. Okay. And um, <laughs> you will not get stoned living in a hemp house. You will not, it cannot do any of the psychoactive uh, things that uh, normal marijuana can do. Um, but that's the hard part, the education part. And that's why it was shut down until the farm bill came through. Um, so that's the major challenge of what we're going up against is education to let people know that this is not, you know, marijuana in the sense of uh, the drug. But what's happened now is that since we can now grow hemp legally and remember this is just for the last few years the industry is starting um, and part of what we're doing at the us hba is to educate people about the difference about hemp and marijuana but also create the uh the infrastructure put out the, get the opportunity out there for people to build the inf infrastructure for farmers to make a profit you know to grow industrial hemp not cbd and i'll get into that in a minute but we want we have to have industrial hemp grown they have to be able to take it to a processing plant where it's decorticated and then it can go out to market but these processing plants don't come cheap and then the final thing and probably the most important is what we're working on at the ushba and is the certifications okay you know as an architect you know Everybody thinks architects are just, they wear a scarf and beret and, you know, we're designed and we draw pretty pictures. Turtlenecks. No, no, I don't wear turtlenecks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the bottom line is, you know, life safety, period. It's all life safety. Um, I'm <clears throat> signing something that says the building is a certified design and it's constructed correctly. Engineers, the same thing. Contractors, the same thing. And you have to understand this has been a, a a cottage industry um, for many, many years, underground too, don't forget. And um, so getting the certifications, which are underway, I mean, um, ASTM and ICC actually are working with us. I mean, you know, those formidable agencies, everybody goes, ooh, you know, that those are so, you know, bureaucratic. They, they came to us and wel welcomed us because I recognized uh, the importance of creating something different that's going to really affect global warming. So, you know, education, certifications, and infrastructure are really the goals here, okay? And um, 
it's working. You know, I when I started this, uh, I figured this was like a 50 year plan. Uh, and, you know, it's going to take time, but it's moving very quickly, guys. We should have certifications for hempcrete, which is uh, I'll get into in a minute, the main building material right now. Um, I, I thought it'd be, you know, probably about five years or so to maybe six, but I, I bet you we have it within two years, the first certification, if not sooner. Part of that agricultural or not the, the farming bill, didn't they name hemp uh, agricultural commodity and sort of removed it from the controlled substances? Isn't that was kind of a big win for the hemp industry? Yeah. And and you have to understand also that um, there's two types of hemp's. Okay. There's the industrial hemp, which is the tall, tall, you know, 12, 15, 20 foot plants that grow really dense like corn. And then there's the CBD hemp, which are the little, there's like Christmas tree size, which are spaced out into the, um, into the, um, the farm, you know, four or five feet apart. And obviously the CBD market, you know, had a huge boom in the very beginning because of uh, what they were finding. And as um, it got saturated, so it's it's readjusting. But I've always said that the industrial hemp, which is what we need for building, is, you know, like the Cinderella story, the ugly little sister that's gonna just take over in the next few years uh, as the CBD market comes to balance. And um, having the farm bill pass, it made it so that not only could farmers grow it legally, but it, it could also go over uh, state lines, transportation, um, and that, you know, it, it, it could become a, a marketing co commodity, not only for building, but for fabric, for fiber, for plastics, you know, for all these things. And I think what we're going through a lot of growing pains, you know, you, you've all heard about, you know, a truckload of hemp being moved from, uh, you know, Iowa to, uh, I'm sorry, Colorado to, you know, Wyoming or something and crosses the line and gets stopped because they think it's marijuana. And it, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve for not only the farmers and transportation people, but also for the police. And, and the DIA has to, um, has to, um, come to terms also with the safety factors. Okay. Um, because, you know, you want to know what you're growing is either, you know, if it's CBD, it, you know, for the medicinal levels and for industrial hemp, you know, you want to make sure that what you're growing is going to be strong and straight and uh, uh, be able to, you know, be processed in these upcoming processes and plants that we're working toward. Earlier in the season, we had an episode that was all about embodied carbon um, and the amount of waste that happens on a construction job site. Um, you know, certain material, like when you're making cement, it produces a huge amount of carbon. Um, and on the other hand, there's hemp, which is, um, it sounds like it's actually better than carbon neutral. And I'll let you get into that. But from a high level, um, you know, from the time the seeds are planted to when the hempcrete is placed, um, what does that process look like? <laughs> it, it, it's 
it's very simple, okay? And, you know, what you said about embodied carbon, uh, we all know, you know, uh, I think it's 39% of the carbon being put out into the atmosphere is, is in construction. And concrete, steel, and aluminum are the biggest uh, uh, violators, if you will. Uh, cotton also, you know, is very, very uh, intense for growing. Hemp is not. So the process that you're asking about, Jackson, is basically as you plant it like you would any other plant. And I'm going to talk mainly about industrial hemp, okay? The amount of water that's necessary is minimal compared to other crops, especially cotton. Um, pesticides are not you know, as prevalent, you certainly have to, you know, be careful of, for watch for bugs and stuff. But um, once it's grown, and remember, in some parts of the world, you can grow two crops of a year, okay? But here in Vermont, you know, and the Northeast and uh, out in the West, you know, it's, typically it's going to be one, one crop. You know, that crop, once it's processed and taken out to market is going to save millions of trees. I mean, there's 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 so many comparisons of everything from paper to toilet paper to building materials. How many trees have to come down for a two by four? You know, we have a reoccurring process. Every year we're growing more and more um, compared to a tree that takes you know 15, 20, 30 years to grow. So that that's the main part of the sustainability issues. Um, as well as it, by growing locally, you know, it's part of the, of what the goal is of lead certification, you know, try to get everything local so that it's transportation costs are out. And, and by having, you know, we need millions of acres. Let's not fool ourselves. We need millions of acres of industrial hemp to grow. And, um, if you have that many acres, you're going to have many processing plants. So all, all that hemp that is being grown in Vermont or in New York state will stay within that state because there'll be enough processing uh, processors to handle it, to distribute within the borders. So every aspect of it, Jackson, you know, is just fighting that embodied carbon. And then as far as the operational carbon, um, you know, the way that hemp buildings control humidity, okay, um, will reduce HVAC ness, uh, needs. Um, you, it's very, very, very s slow transition that if it's minus five degrees out, you can have inside the house, you know, a comfortable 65, and it, it, the transition of the cold or opposite the heat you know, it, it takes a very, very long time, if, if ever, to go to the outside levels. So um, the operational costs are very, very minimal. And that's why it just, everything, everything about it just covers, you know, all the issues that we're trying to fix. And I'm really, really excited to take on the challenge that the AIA and Architecture 2030 have put out there about uh, pointing the finger at architects because we're the ones that have to stop this carbon binge 
And I, I want your listeners to understand that and be part of this because we're specifying, you know, the materials for a home or for a building. So if we're specifying, you know, um, you know, spray and insulation, uh, which is great. I mean, listen, the R value that you get out of that is just incredible, but it's poison and it's made by petroleum. So if I start specifying um, hemp bat insulation or hempcrete walls, you know, that's the start, okay? And what's really put me and my company and my association with all of our friends and workers at USHBA and the hemp world is our little building in Denver, which is called the Wonder Workshop. That was chosen by Architecture 2030 as one of three buildings in the world as an example of, of hempcrete construction. And it was, they called me, you know, I got this call and they said, would it be all right? And I, I said, well, of course, <laughs> you know, how could something like this, how could you turn something like that down? So it's being recognized guys as this. Um, and again, it'll take a little time because we have to grow it. We have to certify it. We have to uh, process it. But when it does happen, it will, it will change the industry as a major disruptor. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. I've never held a block of hempcrete before, but I'd imagine it's pretty light. And although it's not necessarily a structural component, I feel like it would reduce the amount of concrete needed for foundations because it is so light. Yes. Yeah. Let me make one thing very clear. And I'm glad you brought this up. Hempcrete is not a substitute or anything uh, challenging to concrete. Okay. It's a misnomer. Okay. And, and that's, that's one of the things in our hemp world that we're trying to find a balance of um, what to call this, whether it's hemp lime uh, or hempcrete. Uh, hempcrete is not up for foundations. Hempcrete cannot touch the ground because it's, it's natural um, characteristics and properties absorb moisture. Um, and as you mentioned, Jackson, it's not structural. A hempcrete wall, a hempcrete building like we did at the Wonder Workshop has a stud wall inside of it. It's very good in lateral structurally, but in compression, you know, it needs a structure inside of it. So, um, but we can blend it, guys. We, we can blend it into concrete, the fibers, uh, for strength, for flexibility, as well as taking out, you know, the embodied carbon that it takes for carbon um, when they make uh, hempcrete, or I'm sorry, concrete. So that that's part of it, you know, that, that it's the blending. And we're not, we're not going to put concrete out of business, believe me. And we don't want to, we have no intention to, and it'd be impossible. 
and to concrete industries credit they're doing an awful lot of research and development in getting their carbon footprint down they have to and they recognize that is hempcrete the predominant building material being used in the in the industry right now yes and the way that it's been built um and the way I learned and the way we built the Wonder Workshop is by forming it like you're forming a concrete wall. And, and I have to understand that because it's so new in the United States that this has been the predominant way to, to build. In Europe and Asia and Africa, it's been legal to build with hempcrete for many, for a couple of decades. Okay, so they're much further along. But by doing the form work and building these walls and body, you know, uh, em embedding the stud wall within it right now is pretty much the main way uh, people have been building both in the uh, cottage industry as well as in the last couple of years. But the, the future for really quality as well as um, certifiable and reliable hemp walls, hempcrete walls, is by building with block and panels, okay? Um, the way we you build it with the uh, forms is imperfect. And it's because it's the labor, you know, changes day by day. Um, it, it takes a lot of time and, you know, that's not gonna work in our industry. By having factory produced block of hempcrete blocks and factory produced hempcrete panels, like a modular home, you know, that, that's a controlled uh, process of, uh, of building. And, that's the only way I, I feel personally that it's going to be able to be uh, competitive in the construction market in the beginning. And they're Which doing that sense. in Europe too. Yeah, because yeah, we, um, you know, we, we hear a lot about how prefab modular is trying to take hold more because of the need to have, you know, less people on a job site to be able to produce more, more fish and all those buzzwords we hear. So it makes a lot of sense that that would just sort of fold nicely into that workflow. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the cast-in-place method is absolutely fabulous, and I recommend everybody to go and learn that way because you get your hands dirty. You're, you're involved in not only the mixing of the hemp, which is you basically have the hemp herd, which is the inside of the stalk, the shiv, they call it, um, because once the plant, when you take the plant to be decorticated, it's basically, you know, everybody knows, you know, that, Hemp fiber is wicked strong uh, for for you know for anything, <laughs> but it takes a, a very special machine to separate that. It's like skinning a snake. So once once they get the herd out of it, it's chopped up into little woody chips, and added with lime and water and some additional additives depending on where you are, environment uh, and climate. But you mix it just like concrete, and then. You talk about the weight, Jackson, it's like 25% of, if you have a bucket, a five gallon bucket of hempcrete, you know, you and I, even, you know, a kid could carry that. You fill that up with concrete, you know, forget it, you know, it's heavy. So you take that, you mix it, you put it in the bucket, and then you put it within the forms that way. So um, it's, it's, it's the best way to learn, okay, but it's not going to be competitive in the industry. And, and there are classes out there. Um, there are, um, and part of the USHBA's function 
is to educate not only you know zoning administrators and the government, but also to provide opportunities and networks for people around the country to find out where there are classes. And um, and you know YouTube is just loaded with seminars and webinars and classes. You know it's a great great place to start. A great place for home maintenance tips as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm curious because I grew up in the Houston area, which has perhaps the worst weather in the United States in terms of humidity. So when it comes to growing hemp, as well as its application in buildings, um, is it different depending on the climate that you're in, um, whether you're in a really dry climate or a really humid climate, both for growing it, as well as, you know, its application within the built environment you know you're, yes okay and you're you're getting a, a little bit out of my pay scale um it, it comes it comes down to genetics okay? okay okay and and that's part of the development of what the industry is working on is that you know the best genetics for the seeds for the northeast may not be the best ones for texas and vice versa okay and there are other people that you know can speak better about that than I can, but Texas is becoming a very fast leader in growing hemp, um, and you know number one because you got the land and all that other stuff, and the farms and the interest. Um, but it's it's if you're in an environment like you're talking about in Houston compared to New York State or Colorado, um, it's it's it'll be different growing. Um, and of, of course, you know, the amount of water, the rain, uh, the, the heat, and, and that's, you know, that's part of the challenge. In fact, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, as a farmer, and part of the thing we have to convince them to change from other crops over to hemp, and especially industrial hemp, is that there's a risk that when you're growing the hemp, it can get hot. And when I say hot, that means it could go over the 0.3 THC level. So there's a lot of, um, my, and my son, Alex, who got me into this, you know, he has his own uh, mobile uh, processing company that is very busy right now, um, helping farmers in the CBD market, you know, trimming and, you know, getting their, their crops ready to send out to market for CBD. Um, but they have to they have to really do tests at the last few weeks, maybe a month and a half prior to harvest to make sure that the THC level is low. Okay, and the amount of, as I understand it, um, if it's too hot or too cold or too much rain, you know, the environment uh, and climate, if it's unusual, can spike the THC level as well as where you take that test from, whether it's from a bud or from the stem or from a leaf. And part of the legalization of growing hemp, and this is stuff I never knew as an architect, you know, a farmer, if he's grown for a whole season, 10 acres or 100 acres of hemp, and suddenly it's over 0.3, he's got to destroy it, okay? That you know, he's that's marijuana according to the government. And, There's no way to get that down at all once it's reached that limit. Uh, 
No, as I mean, as we know. It, it depends, I guess, you know, I, I don't know the, exactly that answer, but if it's 0.3.1 or something, mm -hmm. you know, there, there may be ways to harvest it earlier um, and things like that. And again, that's, you know, for someone else to talk about, mm -hmm. but, but if I got to destroy my crop, I've lost everything. And, you know, farmers want insurance, which they have for peas or corn for soy. And that's been very difficult to get into the, uh, uh, agricultural industry um, just because of you know, bureaucracy and it takes time for that and it's happening but once that insurance is fully in place um, then there's at least some feeling of security that a farmer that's if the hemp gets hot that he can't control will be reimbursed but um, in Texas compared to New York State where the heat is a lot more intense you know I'll make a bet that those farmers are watching it very carefully. As we kind of wrap up, I mean, I think that's a great lead into, you know, what are, I mean, from the research that I've done, just the brief research and listening to you, I mean, it seems, I'm not going to say a no brainer, but it seems like it, hemp as a material has so many benefits. And so, but we also know that it's met with lots of challenges and obstacles. I mean, kind of from your perspective, what are some of the greatest challenges and obstacles that are, we're facing? with uh, using hemp as a, a sustainable building material? I guess the best answer would be, as I mentioned before, education, certifications, and infrastructure. But education, that's the first part, okay? Just to get the government officials and the zoning officials and the general public to know what they're dealing with. Um, once that gets through, I don't think the challenges are going to be really insurmountable in the sense of uh, the construction industry fighting us as far as the competition that we're going to create. Because again, my point of view is blending, you know, um, and I think that once these industries, especially insulation industry, concrete industry, plastics, um, once they realize that there's an alternative to petroleum-based um, uh, components to their product, they're going to jump on this. Okay, and it's going to take time, and there's going to be ups and downs. Uh, we see it now. Uh, we see it uh, uh, in 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 the spirit of the politics and of the corporation and investments. You know, all these new companies coming out. Some go under. Some flourish. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that whatever we do. And as an architect, this is so important to me, as well as so important to the U.S. Hemp Building Association, that we have to make sure what we're building is quality, because we cannot afford any failures in a public realm. Okay, and uh, if you know how the industry is, you know any any problems that a, a building has, it's instant news. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, about you know all these problems and, and we got to be very careful and that's why I've I've always said build small first don't don't go for uh, if you're just starting don't go for a home don't go for you know uh, uh, anything bigger than that stay learn without buildings learn with garages start small so that you can work these things through and um, you know we can do residential in the world that we're in right now uh, because so many of the, the cities and towns, you know, the zoning 
if you can prove to the zoning officials, like we did in Denver, that it's an alternative material. That, you know, they all have two things. They all have alternative material criteria that if it's as good as or better, you can substitute it. But they all have goals of meeting their, getting the carbon footprint down. And if you express this to the building officials that, hey, look, you guys are going to be part of bringing the carbon footprint down in your city or town. This is why you want to do hemp. Uh, and that, that, I think, is what's going to do it. And I think that's what's going to really sell it. Um, and at the same time, the blending into materials, uh, especially plastics. I mean, you know, God, you just see what's going on in uh, uh, the junk and the floating plastics out in the oceans uh, and, and in the pollution in Haiti and other, com other, other countries of plastics that just don't biodegrade. Hemp, if it's put into that, will help remediate those problems and help in the bio, uh, in, in the, was it, the biodegradation of plastics. And one, and one last thing I just want to point out, we, we talked about construction and materials like that. There is studies going on that are very, very, very positive, and you can look this up, that hemp can become a hemp building, a hemp material, if it's produced right, can be a battery okay so in the simplest terms just think of a town built of hempcrete structures not only is a carbon sponge but also you can plug your phone into the wall and charge it okay i mean that's in the future please understand and i've also pointed out in many cases for the future that if we're going into outer space like we're doing right now in the future of development of you know space stations to if we're going to build you know uh scientific stations on mars or the moon you know i'm talking you know 100 years from now we got to have farms okay and if there's a what is it the old saying of um man needs you know food clothing and shelter okay hemp is food hemp is clothing and hemp is shelter. So if I'm going in outer space, I'm bringing hemp seeds with me, okay? Because it'll do all three of those things. And we're not gonna be around to experience that, but that that's where my mind is, not only to respect the past, to understand and develop the present, but also to be wary of what hemp can do for the future, for the planet, for the construction industry, for architects, and all the way down to, you know, the guy installing the insulation. Bob, you've made me want to run through a wall and rebuild it with hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> this has been awesome. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. I know both Christopher and I learned a lot. Um, you know, I'm really happy that we got to have this conversation and, you know, really happy that, you know, we got to meet, so I, Thank you, and uh, yeah. It's been Thanks a pleasure, and, and I, I I hope I disrupted your podcast the way it should be. Absolutely. No, it's a great discussion. Like I said, I mean, we haven't had anything like this one. Um, I think it was a great first conversation and, you know, hopefully leads to more future conversations. And let me, one last thing in closing. 
the cottage industry that has been around in the United States for decades, um, we have total respect for what they've done to get us to where we are right now. But we need the certifications, education, and infrastructure in order to bring it into that construction market. And I want to reassure your listeners that the industry is growing with professionals. Okay. It's growing. Not only we have the hamsters from my back, but we have professionals that know the construction industry and how to bring it in to it. Okay. But remember, we're creating something from scratch. And how exciting is that to be part of that? So please, you know, uh, I hope that the word can get out. Um, there's so many opportunities out there for architects, engineers, and contractors who love their work, but at the same time, why not do something different? Yeah, I think it's great. Well, we really do enjoy you being here, and uh, thank you so much. Sure. Appreciate right, it, Bob. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoy this episode. Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensack. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2021.